Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Building Public Podcast, and I'm your host, KP, and I'm super, super excited to have Anna Buldakova with me. Anna is joining us from London. Anna is the founder of Meander.so, a mentorship platform, and I'm super thrilled to kind of dive into the backstory, how it came about, her remarkable product hunt launch. They were number one product of the day, number one product of the week. We had so much fun working together on that launch, and also her insights from being at Meta, being at Intercom and some of these companies, and uh, what what's exciting about the future for, for her. So this is sort of the realm of what we want to cover today, but without further ado, welcome to the show, Anna. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. So um, tell us the quick story behind uh, Meander. Like, how did it come about? Uh, I'm very curious to hear the origin story. Yeah, that's actually a very personal story uh, because, as you mentioned, before Meander, I was a product lead at Meta, Intercom, and many other companies, and also have been working quite a lot with AI products. But before that, I actually was a journalist for almost eight years. Really? Yeah. Uh, And it was a very difficult transition for me because I... I didn't have many connections in the field, didn't know how to navigate the space, didn't know what kind of skills I need to learn. And that's where I found a mentor. <laughs> so essentially, uh, a mentor was pivotal in this career change for me and essentially helped me navigate this change and prepare for the transition. And since then, I actually encountered mentorship quite a lot of times in my career because then I moved to Germany, uh, I moved to uh, then to the UK, so I had to adapt to a new culture. I also joined a startup and then I joined Meta. Uh, so essentially, I had to find someone to support me uh, in those new environments and also transitioned from an IC to a people manager, which also required uh, quite a new skill set to be learned. So essentially, in all those different stages in my, of my career, I actually used mentorship as a main resource. And since then, um, I also I also was a mentor uh, myself, uh, so I felt the urge to give back to people uh, because my mentors helped me so much. Uh, and that's what inspired me to uh, initially explore the space. And initially, when we started this uh, um, exploration, we launched the chatbot uh, without any, you know, uh, any ambitions, uh, just wanted to help people find other, um, other mentors who could help. And uh, in the first couple of months, uh, we got more than 20,000 users without any, uh, you know, any investment in marketing. So that's where we knew that there is something there, there is a need. And we also heard so many amazing stories uh, from people using the chatbot uh, that it compelled me and my co-founder to leave Meta and just focus on this full time. Yeah, that, that must be, uh, that must have been a big decision for you, right? Leaving a, um, a, a safe um, career and then taking a leap into entrepreneurship. Has it always been your dream to be a founder? Has it always been some sense of a calling or an urge to build something brand new? I think I have always been experimenting with different ideas, like playing around with, uh, uh, you know, different technologies uh, when they uh, when they were coming out, or uh, some ideas that would just uh, uh, appear in my head. Uh, and my co-founder and I, um, yeah, have been doing them together because he's a software engineer, and I have been doing everything else. 
But to be honest, I always feared to, to get into entrepreneurship because it was so unpredictable and uh, you always have this survivor bias, right? Like you hear about those successful stories where people raise billions and just uh, become really successful entrepreneurs. But I always realized that there are so many of them who are not successful and uh, who were not as lucky uh, as the other ones. So I think uh, the pivotal moment for me when I realized that I actually had to try entrepreneurship was when I realized that I should focus on the experience and on the journey rather than on the result. Yeah. That was a crucial moment when I thought, okay, if I just have fun uh, with those amazing people, uh, we do something innovative and we do something meaningful, that already would be enough for me uh, to be fulfilled by this experience. I couldn't agree more as um, as, a, as a sort of a principle, as a um, sort of core metric. I think people often over index on the outcomes, you know, yeah. and results. I think that's just the default tendency when, in, in society, right? We always look at the outstanding outcomes and measure, um, you know, against them. But often I think in the entrepreneurship and founder journey, like you said, the fun is in the journey. The fun is in the process. The joy yeah. is in the journey. And you really cannot attach your identity to the outcomes because they may or may not come because of so many factors, including macroeconomic factors, funding environments, markets, whatever. But if you just focus on the moment, each chance, each day you get to, um, you know, really um, help a customer, really solve a problem for them or connect them with the mentor that they were looking for and so things like that. I think that's just the way to be. It's just, also, I think entrepreneurship is, I feel like, is a fast track for personal growth. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like you yeah. in corporate America, um, where for eight, eight to nine years I was at uh, Fortune 500 companies, and my personal growth was this much, I think. Each year, <laughs> right? And I thought that was great. And the last seven months being a full time entrepreneur, I feel like I grew so much. You yeah. Know? Um, I mean, again, I don't have any results to show, which are like very <laughs> remarkable, but I think internal, inner transformation is, is happening every day. You know? Yeah. And, um, 100% and that's a change that we, we are observing in careers as well and that was one of the reasons why we renamed uh, so we were called Vector before and we are now Meander because we uh, highlight this concept of meandering careers and because uh, 10 years ago people careers were quite linear people were focused on getting from a middle-level person to a senior uh, then to uh, head of something to a director and VP that was kind of the final point in your career. But now uh, we observe more and more people being focused on the moment, like exploring what actually interests them, what brings them joy and not not being shy, like not hesitating to transfer from one career to another, even if it means that they wouldn't get this, uh, you know, promotion right. <laughs> uh, in, you know, in technical terms. Right. Um, they won't make them enjoy the experience. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, we we connected about this particular topic when you first when we first met about this nonlinear careers as a concept. Right, right off the bat, um, I think the first call was about sort of exploring product hunt, you know, launch strategy yeah. and things like that. And within like I think five seconds of you explaining this nonlinear career, I jumped and I said, I'm in. I want help <laughs> uh, because it's personal to me, just like how you went from sort of journalistic background to tech, broke into tech and startups. Um, I went from Fortune 500, you know, enterprise, very slow moving career 
to um, startups. And I had no map of the territory. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how to do negotiation on the jobs. I had no clue, you know, and yeah. there were some people who luckily manifested themselves as mentors. Luckily, it just happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for them because they handheld me, you know, in that transition period. And now I feel like I know the game, right? But <laughs> if they were not there, it would have been very difficult. And I think, uh, I wonder how many millions of professionals are out there across all industries who are stuck in their careers. Maybe they should be doing something else that will energize them. But they're stuck yeah. because they're not, because they're not sure who will help them, how to get there. What's the map, you know? So I'm, yeah. that was, I was, that's why I was pulled into the vision of what you're doing. <laughs> now, I think uh, before, before Meander, I worked at Workplace, uh, which is a B2B product by Meta for companies. And we actually did quite a lot of research uh, on engagement in different companies. And to be honest, the numbers are shocking. From my memory, based on the research uh, by, I think, Gartner, 75% uh, of people of working population uh, feels that they are stuck in their careers. Wow. I think around just 20% of people feel they are engaged at work. Those numbers are shocking because I think right now with so many opportunities, uh, with AI and technologies playing such a crucial role in our lives, there are so many things you can do uh, that can uh, leverage your interests and your skill set. But a lot of people are just stuck uh, in where they are because they don't see the options. And I think uh, as, um, as a company, uh, we actually dream about helping people to find a map and a guide yeah. <laughs> uh, in this, in this uh, unknown territory uh, to help them understand what kind of options they have and how they can get the best out of it. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's just fascinating. And I, I think it's a, it's a very powerful mission. I really wish you all the best on that. Um, <laughs> And I think it's, need, it, it's one of those things where it's needed to be built, it's needed to be done. So tell us a little bit about the product itself. Like where is if somebody went to meander.so today, what are they gonna see? Is it a marketplace? I know it is, but like <laughs> what, what um, supply side, demand side, you know, what is the description like? How does it feel right now? Yeah, I think there are a couple of principles that differentiate us from like a traditional mentorship solutions. So the first thing is that we are very focused on cases rather than on just a relationship without any purpose. So essentially, we are trying to make mentorship a very focused and outcome oriented experience where you are not just uh, spending six months uh, with a person, uh, but you're trying to achieve certain results. And uh, that has been quite an effective strategy for us. So essentially helping that, people. I don't think, I don't know if anyone, I don't know of any other platform that does that. I don't know, maybe they are, um, but that itself is brilliant. Like you're basically <laughs> tying it to a destination so that both the parties are accountable to that result. Yeah. As opposed to just a one-off session, um, like pick your brain and it just goes nowhere after that, right? Yeah, exactly. So essentially, when you are discussing something very specific, like how to create a strategy, or how to conduct a user research, or how to, um, how to decide on an MVP for your product, then you're not just achieving the results, you also manage to understand where this mentor is a good uh, fit for you. Because not every connection is perfect. Yeah. Like, 
not not all the time the connection is working out so essentially when you can judge uh, your relationship with a mentor based on particular results that gives you much more basis and feedback uh, to see if you want to continue the relationship with them that's very interesting so it is a two-sided marketplace right Uh, but when you go in and as a person as a seeker I go create a profile and then I describe my outcome that I want or like what is it how does it work Yes, so essentially there are two ways uh, to go about it. So the first one is when you know what you want. So for example, I'm a product manager in a startup. I understand that I need to create a strategy. So who is the best mentor to help me with this topic? Uh, And we actually did quite a lot of work uh, to find a really diverse set of mentors who can help with those problems. Because we believe that uh, you should talk to a person who is just one step ahead of you. So essentially, you can just uh, fill out this goal and they'll try to match you with the best uh, person available. But then there is also a second route. Uh, A lot of people who come to the platform, as we discussed, they actually feel stuck and don't understand whom to contact because they don't understand what kind of goals uh, they want to focus on and what would make sense um, for their career development. For this particular segment, uh, we also have a solution. So we have uh, um, a dedicated career navigation specialist uh, who helps those people to essentially boil down what kind of goals they could pursue and also set out uh, their career goals uh, that, that they could then discuss uh, with a mentor. Mm. And afterwards, uh, if uh, they are happy with, with the mentors, they can obviously leave feedback and book uh, further sessions with, with those mentors. Gotcha, gotcha. Awesome, so you got me onboarded as a mentor. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited. I just got a ping from someone in Australia Oh, wow. um, like I said earlier, right? And I'm really excited to have my first session on Meander. Um, so we let's sort of switch gears to talk about product hunt strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I want to save sort of some time on this podcast to mutually brainstorm, not brainstorm, but reflect on some of the things we did that worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so other people who are listening to this who want to launch on product hunt can benefit from it, right? Um, you, we collaborated for the launch. Uh, I had the most fun helping you guys out. You were so proactive. Likewise. Yes, you're so proactive and so grateful. And like, I felt for like those, whatever, one week, two weeks, I felt like I was part of your team. With <laughs> a lot of camaraderie and appreciation. I enjoyed it. And you were number one product of the day, number one product of the week. You know. And we actually got number one education product of the month as well. Really? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos. So, um, so let's walk through some of those non-obvious lessons for you. And then I'm going to chime in with my observations you know, that I learned through your project, right? So mm-hmm. any, any number of five or three tips that you have that were non-obvious? I would say that the first uh, lesson for us was to clearly define the goals for the launch. Because obviously you could pursue different objectives and also you should clearly understand what kind of audience you are talking to on Product Hunt. Because uh, some people go for a product hunt launch because they want to increase the number of users, right? So they want to increase the awareness about the product. But also there are some um, non-obvious outcomes of becoming a product um, of the day, like investor reach outs or journalist reach outs. Uh, There are also some um, trust factors in getting a product hunt badge on your website. So essentially, I think uh, number one uh, thing for anyone uh, going to launch on Product Hunt is to clearly define what is it you're trying to accomplish here. 
Yeah, so uh, that's that's like one uh, one thing. The second thing, uh, just uh, in terms of technical preparation, I think it's really important to have different sources of support uh, that you could reach out to during the day. I think it was really beneficial that we had uh, uh, this collaboration going on with you uh, to make sure that we get into um, yeah into the main page quite quite early on, and we had the support from your community uh, during the day. But also, in addition to that, we made sure to reach out to our own community. So we divided um, all those reach out and batches, uh, and we also used different channels to make sure that this, uh, uh, this kind of support is uh, distributed equally during the day. Uh, that's one of the important learnings, because, uh, for example, uh, at 6 a.m., uh, just before the, um, the poll closing, and we actually uh, saw one of our competitors starting to get a lot of traction. And if we didn't have anything in our pocket, they could have won. And uh, uh, that's really important that you have quite a lot of different sources distributed across the day. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I was waiting for your third one, but I, I'll, I'll prompt the third one. I think... This is something I noticed that you did really well, um, Anna and your team, is that um, this is, I'm so shocked at how many founders I work with or how many founders I help and I observe miss the boat on this one. The first four hours is the golden period mm. since you launch, right? So 12.01 PST is when you go live, right? Generally, the earliest you can go live on Product Hunt. The first, the first four to six hours, absolutely, you have to be present online and react and respond to every comment possible on mm -hmm. the page. So many people that I work with or I see, um, they miss the boat there. And then it's very, very hard to catch up the rest of the you know day, right? Yeah. So what I've noticed you guys did really well is that you were active. I guess it helped you were in London, you know, your time zone <laughs> farther ahead, but still like being present and replying to every possible comment you know, um, I've often I noticed that for one comment from a from a particular customer, it would be you responding and then Victor responding and then even your community person. I forgot his name. Uh, Adam. Adam. Yeah. So it adds a lot of um, engagement on the page. And, you know, if I spent 35 seconds on your platform as a product and user um, on your launch day and then replied and left a thoughtful comment or feedback, it's imperative that I get, you know, um, reciprocated. Right? Yeah. Like table stakes, but <laughs> that, right? uh, that's a great comment. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it turned out like a team building exercise for us <laughs> because uh, uh, our team, um, which is still quite small at the moment, uh, was so present and was so involved in talking to users and just replying to comments and reviews. And we were so humbled by, uh, by those reviews, to be honest. We did not expect such a wave of support, uh, which was really amazing for, for the team to read. So I think like even, even if not for the purposes of engagement, but for just the pure joy and satisfaction of interacting with your users, you definitely should do it. <laughs> the other thing that um, naturally lends itself for uh, great strategy, but also is great um, team building activity is I, I noticed through the through the day, um, you've done several screenshots or tweets about some of the comments um, that was made on the day on, 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 you know, on your page or some some like celebrating like small milestones like, hey, we are in the home page or top 10 or top five. I feel like those things really show that you're building momentum. Mm -hmm. You know, like you know, if you think about it, like a startup. If I'm an investor, city state investor, 
and if I'm looking at your, um, you know, just generally your traction, if you suddenly come out of nowhere and then show one day that, hey, here's some met metrics, that's <laughs> not as exciting as if you celebrate every little milestone that got from 3C to C to CDC, right? Yeah, so that's true. The same logic applies to the larger product and community as well. I think a lot of people want to support, but they don't know who to upvote. They don't know who to uh, elevate and support and reply. So what they look for is who seems to be having more fun? Mm -hmm. <laughs> who seems to be building momentum, right? They think like investors, oh, this company, oh, this is, they're crushing it. They're having so much fun. Like there's replies, <laughs> comments. And so they will pile on, you know? Yeah. So I say this to all my founders, like guys, bring some of the best comments on Product Hunt as they happen on the page, screenshot them and bring them onto Twitter or LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. you know? And then keep the conversation going. So nice. Uh, you, no, yeah, I think that uh, yeah. we are very, uh, we are very community-driven product. Uh, yeah. So it's important that we bring our community along along on the journey with us. Yeah. So essentially, sharing all those important moments and just being grateful uh, to the community for making it happen. I think it's yeah. it's really important. Uh, and uh, uh, there is no such thing as oversharing in those things because yeah, especially <laughs> celebrating. I think especially when you're elevating other people, right? Like yeah. when you're not. It's not a me, 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 me thing. It's more like, hey, this is happening. It's fun. So, yeah. um, I think one last tip I want to add is, you were very intentional about leveraging your your network and Victor's network. You know, when I think two weeks before when we first started talking about this, I was very impressed by the level of detail you went into. Here's my first year connection, second year connection. Mm -hmm. Here's who I'm going to reach out to and all that. Can you share a little bit around your mindset of like how should some found how should a founder ask and leverage their network, you know, for product hunt? Like, what are some tips about that? I think uh, the first uh, the first rule of thumb is to make sure that uh, you explain clearly uh, what it is you want them to do. So essentially. Um, explaining what kind of uh, support uh, you would like to get and most importantly why. So if uh, some people from my network did not know what I'm building and uh, why a, pro a product hunt launch is important Matter. to the product, yeah. uh, it's important to explain because not everyone is familiar uh, mm. with product hunt. Some people uh, uh, would just say like, oh, of course I will do, uh, like I will leave a comment, uh, but maybe tomorrow. Uh, so they were not really familiar with the, uh, you know, with the dynamics and with the mechanics uh, of the tool. So I think essentially making sure that you provide this context and those um, steps that they could easily follow is quite important. But I think also uh, it depends on the degree of your connections, of course, but um, uh, you should make your message quite personalized and targeted. So when we looked at our networks uh, with my co-founder, Victor, and also with our team members, uh, we were trying to think uh, who from our networks would be most um, relatable to the mission. So who could resonate with what we are trying to build and would want to spread the word? Because in this case, it would be very organic to them uh, to share with their networks that, hey, there is this amazing uh, new platform for finding mentors and developing in, in your careers. But like if for, um, for people in my network, um, uh, it won't be such a such an organic thing. Uh, it won't it won't be uh, such a um, such an organic message to share. I probably won't ask them because um, it probably won't make sense for them. Right. So essentially, being quite intentional on who can be an ambassador for you uh, mm -hmm. versus just a you know just a random reach out. 
Yeah. And I think you shouldn't spend a lot of time on those like random people, like yeah. 80 20 rule. <laughs> yeah, 80 20 rule. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, again, like they do the spray and pray and they assume you have to outbound DM everybody on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I highly, highly discourage that because I'm like, that's just the fastest way to, uh, one, lose the, lose the spirit of, you know, reaching out to somebody, right? It's just like nobody likes these irrelevant, non targeted pitches. Yeah. And two, um, you're just going to drain yourself out and you're going to be bummed out and you're going to feel like nobody cares about the mission, right? Like yeah. when, you, when we talked, like I think the, the best example is if, if you were trying to pitch Meander to a dentist, you know, <laughs> that reaction would have been different compared to me. I literally went through the pains that you were talking about. And so within five seconds, I was like, I'm in. And not only <laughs> that I was in, I was like, we genuinely wanted to be an evangelist and promote it and as much as I could. So... I think you're right. Like the 80-20 rule applies. The, like overall, though, Anna, <clears throat> I said this in my emails to you. I loved how it didn't feel like you were working hard, but it felt like you were working smart. You know, the team, you and the team. So kudos to you. Oh, thank and that, you. That's generally my style when I work with clients, etc. There's so many people who come to me and they're so nervous and they're like, they're trying to work so hard. And I say, you should have fun. You should not work <laughs> so hard. You know, it should not feel that hard. Anyway, the other thing also, and I, I have to say this out in public, there was uh, somebody who asked me, and I, that was like really one of my highlights of a product hunt journey. Somebody asked me, KP, I want to be product hunt, um, I want the product hunt badge for product hunt of the year. Mm. <laughs> I was like, ambitious. I was like, um, and I, I want a billion dollars on private jet tomorrow. <laughs> I was so shocked. I was like, what? Who even <laughs> thinks like that, right? And I think the intention was, I understand, you know, being ambitious to an extent. I feel like I'm an ambitious person. I think you're an ambitious person. But being so outcome obsessed is such mm -hmm. a negative uh, trait in my view. You know, mm -hmm. I won't name the names who said this, but I was like, this is definitely not the right approach of building a venture back company or whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, in fact, the... Uh, I, so I couldn't work with them. I said that, sorry, this is not how it work. I focus on the process, mm -hmm. the journey, you know, here's what I can offer. Here's what we could help with all that. But nobody on the planet, including Ryan Hoover, you know, <laughs> who, who, who's no longer product hunt, but like the founder of product hunt could ever promise product hunt batch of the year. That's the, yeah. one of the weird uh, asks, but eventually <laughs> the, as, as irony would have it, they ended up number three. Hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't help no, them. That's good. Yeah, I mean, so they, <laughs> it worked they, out for them. Right. But like, if you think about it, I didn't, I didn't get to help them because I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But I, I think if they didn't obsess over that, I feel like they would have been like number one, like you. Mm -hmm. Because they obsessed so much, I feel like the, the karma the universe got them and they got number three. <laughs> um, no, I would think that to your point, like, you know, one thing that I noticed among my top performers is that the ones who tend to really hit it, hit it out of the park actually don't care about the badge as much. Hmm. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. They never, you never mentioned to me, KPM, we want product hunt of the week. You know? <laughs> That's true. Like, that was a big surprise. <laughs> big surprise. We're always like, oh, yeah, it's a great bonus, right? It's a bonus. And this, is, this applies to so many things. Like the people yeah. who are obsessed about getting to the 100K on Twitter are the ones who don't get there. <laughs> people who are obsessed about getting a 25 million city say are the ones who don't get there, right? The, folk, yeah. the people who are obsessed and focused on either the customers the mission or the journey seem to me are the ones who are the top 1%. Yeah. You know? 
That so. is so true. No, I feel like being focused on outcomes and just being uh, very focused on just results makes you afraid of failures. So essentially, you're so obsessed uh, with the end result that you forget about what kind of problem you're solving and you are just afraid of any experiments. But I think in our industry, that's that what actually gets you to success at the end, right? <laughs> it, it's the number of iterations that gets you to success. It's nobody has the first big, like, like the way you guys had to pivot a couple of times, even the name and the branding, nobody wakes up and has the best idea ever, right? You have a hunch and you have to take it to market and you have to listen to what people are saying and then slowly adapt it, you know? So yeah. um, thank you for sharing some tactical and reflective tips about product and journey. <laughs> I want to switch now to the journey of building a product, like the, the technical journey, and especially, you know, as an early stage startups, you have to balance how much you can build versus how much is like technically possible to realistically possible to build versus how yeah. much is wishful thinking that you would love to have one day. How do you draw the balance? How do you draw the line between them? How do I draw the line between what to build and what not to build? Yeah. Oh, I think it's a, uh, it's a true art, <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, prioritizing and, uh, identifying what is a must have versus a nice to have, uh, especially when you have limited resources, yeah. limited number of people, a limited time. Uh, and just in general, um, not, not a huge runway. It's not like 10 years ahead of you. Uh, you. You have to stay focused in order not to spread yourself thin. And I think it's not even about the, um, the build phase, but rather about the maintain phase. Because essentially, as soon as you build something, you have to think how, uh, how it will be maintained, how it will live further because every every single thing that you uh, release to to lives and uh, you need to make sure that it evolves and you will be receiving feedback you will be receiving some complaints uh, and it it increases your scope for prioritization in the future so essentially by prioritizing early on uh, you kind of make yourself a favor in the future I think one of the frameworks uh, I brought to Meander from Facebook uh, is understand, identify, execute. So essentially it's a framework used to, uh, to understand what part of the uh, funnel you're focusing on. So is it a problem validation? Is it a solution validation? Or is it just an execution problem? And essentially it helps you to better frame what it is you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and also to focus on the most important thing. Because essentially, uh, until you have validated that the problem is important, it doesn't make sense to focus on solutions. It doesn't make sense to build like a, you know, a uh, hundred different versions of one feature until you actually realize that it's a problem worth solving. So I think that really helps when you adopt uh, this kind of framework and uh, prioritize based on whether it's a problem that you are trying to to confirm or it's a it's a solution it's a solution or it's specific execution details. Another thing uh, that uh, that turned out quite to be quite helpful uh, was just uh, thinking what would you do if you had twice as less time. So essentially imagine that right now you have twice as less people, twice as less time. What would you actually do? And that brings this level of clarity that, uh, okay, instead of those 10 features that I could potentially do, instead of those five user researchers I could run, what is the one that is the most important? What is the one that will move the needle? 
And essentially, it also allows you to get this uh, level of clarity to make sure that you make the right decision. How much of your time um, and your energy spent talking to users as an early stage founder? A lot of time. I think that's uh, a number one priority for any startup founder. Because uh, um, you don't have any other sources of information, right? Uh, so you should be uh, constantly in touch with your users to make sure that you understand not just the problems that they experience, but also the context they are in. When you're how thinking you, about... How do you do that? Do you jump on quick Zoom calls with them, phone calls? Do you schedule them? Or... Yeah, so first of all, I'm a mentor on the platform. Uh, so I'm <laughs> uh, constantly mentoring people and that's a great source uh, of, of information, like dogfooding my own product. Right. And I'm also finding mentors through Meander, uh, which is helping, helping me to, uh, you know, to see some uh, gaps uh, in what we built. I also uh, have uh, office hours. So essentially anyone on the platform can book a call with me. And actually quite a lot of people are using this option. Uh, so I'm having calls every, every week uh, with, with them. And uh, what's turned out to be quite an amazing um, benefit, we have a mentor community, uh, which is uh, quite engaged and mentors are sharing their feedback and their insights in how we could make the platform better. So it's like all those different channels are super helpful. Uh, we also have onboarding calls for uh, mentors and mentees, uh, which I used to join, especially at the beginning. Uh, but now I, I was lucky to hand it over to our amazing community lead, uh, who is sharing the uh, insights with me. That's awesome. I love, I love you, how you jumped at it and said a lot of the time that I spend um is with users you know I, I i saw this split somewhere um i can't re retrace it but i think it was one of the yc startup school videos that was talking about how in the early stages 80 percent of your time should be talking to users and 20 percent should be built like building products and features i thought that was that was brilliant um, yeah. um and often we we know from experience the reasons why we build things that nobody wants to use is because we flip the ratio we spend 80% of the time trying to build it and then 20% <laughs> talking to them and it ends up being unwanted. Tell us about these mentors um, on the platform. What are some great qualities and traits that you look for in individuals you know, when, when you choose, um, when you want them to be a mentor? So there are a couple of things that I think are crucially important for, for any mentor. So the first one uh, is uh, open-mindedness. So essentially being able to share your knowledge, but uh, without it being imposed on, on another person. Because obviously from just a half an hour, one hour conversation, you cannot gather all the details, all the context from another person's life. And that's why you need to be quite open uh, in how they might interpret your experience and how they might apply it. So essentially your job as a mentor is to ask questions, like understand the situation, and then make sure that you share uh, information in the right way so that a mentee could actually use that. Another important trait uh, is just essentially being able to build rapport and trust uh, with another person. It's not an easy thing to do, to be honest, because uh, you, again, just have 30 minutes or 60 minutes with another person and in a lot of cases, it happens over Zoom. So it's uh, an online connection, which is, uh, which is even harder uh, in terms of trust. 
And that's why it's so important that mentors have the right communication skills, uh, which allow another person to talk about some issues that might be sensitive for them or might be even difficult for them to talk about. So if you want to, uh, to make sure that you are sharing the right information and people are answering you honestly, then trust is quite important. And then the third uh, important trait is making sure that you can communicate in a very concise uh, and structured manner. Because again, mentorship is a very personalized experience. Uh, mentees come to you with questions and they might not repeat uh, from one session to another. And that's why uh, this conversation might feel just um, very unstructured uh, in some way if, we, uh, if a mentor doesn't have the skill. And if that happens, then a mentee might just leave that they had just a, a nice talk, uh, but without any action items or any specific outcomes um, uh, that they wanted to achieve. So I think for a mentor, it's quite critical to, to be able to communicate in a, in a very concise and efficient manner. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You know, one, one of the things that I um, try to do when I'm having sessions, you know, either office hours or um, in, in, I'm in the Building Public Fellowship, right? I run the fellowship and I have a lot of founders office hours there is um, I've noticed the, uh, this little subtle slight adjustment to the framing of a question can really change the uh, experience of what's being discussed dramatically. Mm -hmm. One example is, um, you know, this uh, very popular question called, how can I help you? Yeah. Right? How can I help? People, people ask that all the time. And I hate it. <laughs> what happens is, unless you know me really well, um, unless we are in a mastermind group or something, like it's very hard to uh, do the work to tell you how you can help me, right? Like, there's millions of ways you can help me. Like, what do you mean by how you can help, right? But VCs love to use it. And I think it's become a catchphrase. Everybody loves to say, how can I help? How can I help? Mm -hmm. I think the intent is great. And so what I've learned is, I've learned to use that phrase and it always sucks. It always uh, <laughs> makes it like an awkward, you know, like uh, maybe you can amplify our stuff when we go live or something, but nothing really concrete comes out. Instead, I've been flipping that to saying, what's a top of mind challenge or bottleneck you have mm -hmm. this? Week? What's like top of mind for you? That's so easy because that's not saying what is the number one challenge among the rank list. I'm not asking <laughs> that. I'm just saying what's top of mind, what comes to mind? Yeah. And then there's usually, usually the, the, the founders rattle like a list of three, four unique challenges. And then I try to sort through them to figure out where I can add value mm -hmm. because that's on me, not on them. Right. Cause I know yeah. what I can add value in. So suddenly they'll say things like fundraising, which I can't help with. For example, they'll say like, yo, you know, CPA accounting, whatever. Then they'll say, yeah, product and launch. I'm like, yo, yes, <laughs> I can help with that. Here's these four articles I wrote. Here's this, you know, video you should watch. So I've realized that that little framing, I think I wonder for Meander if there is an opportunity to create some, a database of prompts hmm. that would be great framing questions for both mentees and mentors. Just an open idea I just got right now. Yeah. Um, I think it would be interesting because, you know, this is something I learned the hard way, but I feel like <laughs> companies should benefit from it without it. So. No, for sure. I think that's a great tip. And uh, our learning lead actually has been working on a library of templates, yeah. like uh, structures for the conversation, depending on the situation. Because to be honest, people never ask the right question. Yeah. Like they come to you because they lack competence in a certain area. And that's why they cannot 
ask the right questions. They do not know what to ask you. Yeah. And that's why your goal as a mentor is to help them frame the question. In in majority of the cases, like from my mentorship experience, uh, people come to me with one question, but we end up answering a completely different question uh, because their first question was either unimportant or uh, it was not um, something that they actually needed right. <laughs> to, to make progress. Uh, so I think your uh, advice is really, really valuable, like making sure that you help them frame uh, the right question to be answered. And that actually might be uh, the most valuable thing you can get out of the session, because right. if they have the right questions, they can also find a lot of resources. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Also, I think one of the most um, non-obvious things is about sort of this mentorship process um, beyond meander, I found that um, there are thousands of mentors, well-qualified, successful, uh, proven, like people who have practitioners who are generous and want to help. You know, it's such a limiting belief that I think when somebody feels that they're stuck, they think that, man, it must be I'm at fault or <laughs> maybe, you know, something wrong with me. Yeah. I'm stuck at this step of this journey, whatever. Uh, and it feels isolating. It feels like you're doing something wrong because, you know, in school, we don't feel stuck because we have teachers, <laughs> right? We have peers, yeah. your buddies, friends in often many journeys like entrepreneurship or career switching. We feel stuck because we're doing something unusual offbeat. You know, you left Meta and you're doing something called Meander. Yeah. <laughs> before, right. That exact sequence, nobody's done it. But the, the biggest shock to me happened when I realized that there are so many people when I worked at On Deck, I was surprised at how many people were willing to come forward and help me. If for two things, I had to do two things. One, be bold enough to have an ask. Because mm -hmm. closed mouths don't get fed. Yeah. Right? If you don't ask, <laughs> nobody knows what's going on in your head. <laughs> Number one. So one, the bold ask. So that's one. Number two is the right question. And that may take some work. Because knowing what to ask is, I think, is a great skill. Yeah, for sure. Because even problem solving, as you know this, right? Like, it's not about the problem that's hard. It's about asking the right question that can unlock the answer. Yeah. Because the answers are all around us walking. <laughs> right? And so every time I get stuck, I think about this. And I'm like, man, I'm stuck at this thing. But there are millions of people out there who know the answer to the thing I'm stuck with. Yeah. That's wild. So I'll give you a fun, silly example. But... For, for a while, for maybe like two, three months, um, I've been pondering the question of how do you build um, and grow and exit a uh, bootstrap startup? Because mm -hmm. I'm on the bootstrap path right now. And I'm like, I want to build a SaaS product or a marketplace or something and then build and exit. And then, you know, so I thought, what would be, how, how would I do this? And I have no experience on this. I have uh, experience in starting companies. A lot of them failed but I know experience and exits. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, how would I do this? How would I go? And then I know some people on acquire.com have been talking about exits all the time on Twitter, acquire.com and so on. So like there are people out there who are walking mm -hmm. in this world who have had an exit. So it's about two things now, same thing. I have to reach out to them and then I have to say, hey, what's your path? How have you done it? <laughs> so I started a podcast called Million Dollar Exit. <laughs> And I, I put it out on Twitter saying, hey, I, have, I know nothing about this topic. I'm a newbie, but I'm very passionate, enthusiastic. 
the topic is called, I mean, and the, the key um, theme is we're trying to unlock um, how to get million dollar exits. The million dollar is a hook. I mean, I don't care for yeah. million dollars, but you need some hook, right? It is blowing up. Nice. And there's I think, nine people on the first tweet replied and said, KP, I just had a million dollar exit. Jump on a call. I didn't know wow. that there were nine people in my <laughs> orbit who had million dollar exits, right? So it's like that's amazing. We, you don't know the latent potential of your network. I think that's another thing about career mentorship is that you just yeah. don't know who had an internship at Meta or who had a job at Apple. You don't know until yeah. you ask. <laughs> that is so true. And I feel uh, your, the title of your podcast really resonates with me, like in terms of building in public and also thinking in public and doing anything in public, because when you share something into the world, uh, then you get a response. And even if your thinking or building has been imperfect, you right. still get those other opinions. And I think that is so beneficial for any decision making. Uh, decision-making process because essentially when you consider more than one option even if your first option was the right one uh, it strengthens your proposition because you start thinking about the pros and cons and you just get you know the option of a second opinion that's mm. that's really incredible yeah yeah I mean that's that's sort of the lifestyle I've been living right building in public <laughs> for, for for the last five five years okay so let's touch on AI for a minute Do, I have two questions for you left. One's the AI, um, and then I'll share what the next one is. But how are you processing the AI revolution? You know, <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? Do you ever see Meander playing into the AI, you know, evolution a little bit, or, or how are you processing the whole thing? I feel like obviously right now it feels like the moment for AI because it became a commodity. Like yeah. even. Uh, people in a coffee shop, um, I don't know, accountants, hairdressers. <laughs> I actually went to my hairdresser the other day and she was talking about ChatGPT, which wow. I found really amazing. Yeah. Uh, like the, when the technology actually gets to people who are not usually talking about technology. Right. So obviously this feels like a, a huge moment. But at the same time, it's really interesting what comes next, because still it feels like the Wild West in terms <laughs> of transparency, in terms of control, in terms of measurement. And even when I worked on AI at Meta, uh, we used to discuss those questions. But now, as more and more people are using those technologies, these questions become more and more prominent. Like, how do we use data? How do we protect people's privacy? How do we ensure that we are optimizing for the right thing? How do we ensure that there is no uh, space for human error. Uh, and obviously, how do we make sure that uh, it's not used for some bad purposes like fake, uh, fake pictures or uh, some impersonification of, of people. So I think it's a really exciting time. Uh, there are a lot of things to be figured out and essentially to build out the rules of the game, like how, how this game should be played in the long mm -hmm. run uh, to benefit all of us. Mm. In terms of Meander using AI, I definitely see a lot of potential because obviously at the core, uh, we have the matching technology, making sure that mentees, learners can find the right person to talk to at the right moment. So obviously we need to ensure that we are connecting the dots and are using different types of data to match people and to ensure that this match actually leads them to results. 
So I think in the future, this actually becomes a very important point, especially as we scale, uh, to ensure that we are not just looking at people's professional uh, achievements, but also at some of the personal characteristics. Uh, like, as you said, uh, people have really different paths. Uh, like they transition from um, one profession to another. And if I transition to product management from journalism, uh, my path is different than, for example, for a lawyer uh, who transitioned into product management. So I think those kind of, um, this kind of personalization uh, would be critically important. Yeah. What, what is coming up for you in the next uh, six to 12 months period? Like what is uh, exciting um, in the in the roadmap or in the company's trajectory? I think we touched on this idea of career navigation. Like when you, I really like this analogy, uh, when you travel to a new city that you don't know, you really can go in any direction and you don't know where to go. So you can just wander around the city. But if you just have one day, uh, it's much more efficient if you have a map or if you have a guide who can help you at least understand what's interesting about the city, like where you can go, uh, how it might align with your interests. Like if you are a foodie, uh, what kind of markets you can go to, or like if you want to, uh, to, to learn about history, what kind of museums you can visit. And the same applies to careers, because essentially uh, when you achieve a certain point in your career, like five years, six years mark, you really don't know where to go. Kind of going back to my uh, early point uh, that people don't want to <laughs> go into VP or like head of uh, positions anymore. They actually want to do what's fun and what's meaningful. But at the same time, uh, they kind of find themselves in this stuck situation uh, because they don't know uh, what and how they can leverage their current skill set. So at Meander, we are exploring this problem. Our initial pilot for career navigation was really successful uh, and we feel that, that it will be the future. So essentially we'll be uh, doubling down on the career navigation part and making sure that we are not just helping people who know uh, where they want to go, but also helping people who feel stuck and who don't know what's next for them. That's awesome. That sounds super exciting. Um, I'm rooting for you guys. Uh, keep me posted. And, you know, thank you for being on the show. And I had thank so much fun. Thank you for fun. having me. I didn't realize the time flew so so fast <laughs> that we, we were uh, over the hour. But um, thanks for being here. And uh, let's keep in touch. Thank you so much.